This is Sean Granham, okay, Sean Gran, and today I'm talking to the founder of one of the most impressive labels out there, uh, especially journey-wise. His name is Kenny Fresh, and he runs Fresh Selects. How you doing, sir? I'm good, man. By that intro, I thought you had someone else on the line. <laughs> like an interview. That's that's wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Nah, it's just the truth, man. But uh, yeah, so can you detail how Fresh Selects began? Because it was originally a blog back in 2008, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I could tell it. I could tell the story a few different ways depending on how much time you have. But uh, yeah, I started uh, the blog in 2008, just kind of out of uh, frustration of already working with certain artists. So I got my start in music as a whole through uh, Wajid and his Blink 47 label. That was in uh, 2005. And so by 2008, I had been kind of working with them and they're kind of a, an expansive, you know, lots of extended family type of operation, uh, you know, between like Tarak and Tiambe Lockhart and Invincible and all the different artists that I met, you know, through Wajid. So I kind of amassed, you know, a good amount of artists that I wasn't working with in any kind of traditional uh, sense, just kind of like people I really wanted to see do well and people that I really believed in. And at the time, there was no real blogs or or real platforms uh, for them. They all kind of had to make their own, you know, which they did, you know, to pretty good uh, extents. But uh, I wanted to kind of, I wanted it to be one place for all of that to kind of live simultaneously. So that's how, that's why uh, I started the blog. And then it just kind of blossoms from there. And to be honest, I just kind of like went with uh, a few different opportunities that came my way over the years. Uh, and then it wasn't until around like 2013, I started to really kind of be much more decisive about my path and what I really wanted to do and kind of take it into my own hands. And that's when uh, I turned uh, the blog or, you know, the brand, whatever you want to call it, I turned Fresh Selects into a record label. Uh, and that was, uh, I guess that started kind of like the middle of 2013 when our first release came out uh, towards the end, like November. Cool. So <laughs> you covered like pretty much the yeah, next five questions. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's good. It's good because uh, we'll get into them a bit deeper. So what's the music scene like in Portland? Because FreshLex.net was a big supporter of local acts, right? Yeah, so uh, how, how is the, the local scene? The music scene in Portland is really vibrant for a very specific type of music. For indie rock, it's like a mecca. We are one of the best cities in the world, not just the country, for for indie rock. So that's really dope. I love a lot of the bands that come from here. Uh, for the stuff that I'm more known for, so to speak, uh, like hip hop and especially R&B and kind of like beats, uh, it's not really too much here. It's still kind of, it's been, you know, They've been active in all these types of music for years now, but it's uh, it's not really well known for that outside of the city and even kind of within the city. So we're still, we still got a long way to go uh, in those regards. So yeah, to kind of get into, you know, the next question that you mentioned, uh, that, was, that was part of the idea of starting the website was to try to use the, use the access I had to certain artists who had a more, uh, international reach like Wajid and like Tarak and people like that uh, and you know get uh, make exclusive content with them and get kind of uh, an audience 
uh, through people who were into them. And then once I had that audience, use the platform to put people on to uh, my friends here in Portland, uh, you know, while they're coming to the page and kind of slip that in. I didn't want to be just a Portland blog because I felt like it would never really make it outside of the city. So I just wanted to be a music blog in general and to give Portland artists the same amount of attention, not like treat them differently like oh here's the local homie and then here's the big artist just treat them all equal across the board so people can just kind of decide for themselves uh so yeah some of the artists you know uh locally i, I was focused on at the time were like uh devin who and uh high res and dave naughty you know all really dope uh producers from here Dope. i didn't even realize that devin who's from Portland. yeah originally yeah born and raised he's he lives here longer than I have, uh, but yeah, then he, after, I forget around when, but yeah, around the, the time of the website, he moved to LA and now he's in San Francisco, but I think he still, I think he still reps Portland if people were to ask him where he's from. Yeah. How has the scene changed during Fresh Select's lifespan in Portland, would you say? I, I don't know. I would say it has been, it has been progressive. I think it's been a slow progress. Uh, I mean, I really only focused on local. I have I've yet to really do anything with local artists as a label. It was uh, it was more of a, you know uh, during the blog era. So through that, uh, I think specifically the artists that I were that I was working with at the time, they it seems to have helped them. I'd like to I'd like to think. Uh, and yeah, I think from the local press, like I think the local press is now covering. Uh, more hip hop than they used to before, and you know we kind of started to do some uh, cross genre shows because try to get like a big indie rock band to do a show with you know one of the rap groups I was working with, and that has kind of become uh, a formula that a lot of people have used. So that's been cool. That's been cool to see, but uh, I still it still has uh, you know some way to go. Yeah. So before officially becoming a label. Fresh Legs had already released projects and songs from the likes of Knowledge, Black Spade, High Res, and Coltrane. How did you get acquainted with those acts and how did you secure those releases? You kind of touched on it before. Yeah, so I mean, those were all just, uh, I don't really consider those like proper label releases. Yeah. They're just uh, kind of like digital, they're just kind of content. But, uh, but yeah, we all, I met all those artists just kind of, uh, usually pretty naturally, like, uh, I think with knowledge, I met him because he did a beat for uh, Invinci or yeah for Invincible's album back in like 2007. I want to say, wow. uh, maybe 2008. It was a song, uh, yeah, it was a song with Tiambe Lockhart singing on it called Ropes, and uh, and I I knew every other producer on the project, and I was like, who's Knowledge? Uh, so I reached out to him. I found him on MySpace, and I really liked his stuff. He had a few other tracks with Finale, so I reached out to him started talking to him on instant messenger and then uh he, he started like sending me a lot of beats and i thought his beats kind of reminded me of what devin who was doing so i was like yo devin you heard of this guy knowledge and he was like nah so they started talking and then like two weeks later they were uh, i think devin hit me up like yo have you heard of this guy knowledge i'm like yeah <laughs> i introduced you to him and then, and then by that time they already had a crew okay then, uh, yeah and it was clip mode with my, that's how i found out about mind design and Susie analog that's both crazy huh <laughs> to this day so yeah it's just things like that uh coltrane uh the first time i ever went on tour wajid uh brought me out to new york and then from there me him and Tarak all went to europe uh while we were in new york uh, the three of us were kind of meeting in wajid's uh 
uh, apartment and he had a studio in which in which he would, would record and me Wajid and Sirak were kind of in like the living room talking about plans for the tour and we were like making mix CDs to sell and in the other room was this just amazing voice and singing going on and we were talking and then we kind of paused because uh, he was wearing headphones so he was just recording his vocals and he was just kind of like doing random ad-libs and we would stop and be like yo who the fuck is this like he's killing it and when he came out lo and behold it was Coltrane so uh, that's that's how we met uh, we've just been kind of working on and off ever since that was like uh, 2007 as well so it's been almost you know it's been like eight ten years with a lot of these people uh, a lot of it you know is just through online and then we would meet in person you know years later but uh yeah it's all just been pretty natural Dope. yeah because i d- didn't realize that comfort zone which is my favorite dibiase project and the one oh, that nice. put me onto him was also released on or via fresh Alex. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool little one. That was just something where uh, a friend of mine was bringing DiBiase out to play in Portland. Uh, I mean, and I was kind of doing a, a series of beat tapes at the time. Uh, I was releasing them like once a month, just called Weekend Beats, and I'd, I'd put it out on like a, a Saturday or a Sunday. And uh, and he hit me up. He was like, "Hey, is there any way you could uh, help promote this show here in town?" And I was like, "Well, you know, all I have is a blog. Like, if you know, if we did some content or something, then we could push it that way." And me, me and DiBiase had been talking about doing something, so I came up with the idea of like, yeah, if we were like release a beat tape, but I thought that was reaching. Like, I never thought he would do that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he was, you know, he's such a, a a humble and you know gracious guy, and he came through and you know laced me with the tracks. We came up with the artwork. The whole thing went down in like less than a week from kind of the initial idea to when it was released, and I think we put it up like the day before the show, and it just kind of took off from there. But yeah, that was a blessing for sure. That's crazy, cause uh, if I'm right, those were DBS's first experiments with Ableton, I think, cause Knowledge had started teaching him Ableton as well, and Comfort Zone, like the tracks that he put out through there were like the first ones that he had done using Ableton, cause I think he was using maybe Reason or something else with his MPC or SP. Yeah, I think it was mostly yeah SP. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think I don't know. You'd have to talk to him, but that sounds about right, and that would explain why he called it Comfort Zone. That actually makes perfect sense. And yeah, and I remember. I remember we kind of included like an artist note uh, in the post that he was saying something like that. So yeah, I think you're right about that. That's crazy. I didn't even. I kind of forgot about that to be honest. Yeah, I don't know where I read it, but I, I, maybe it was from that post. But I don't even remember. Like I just remember knowing about it. So yeah. That's dope. So uh, what's your musical background? Because I think you just said that you made beats. No, no, I never, I never, uh, I, I leave that to the professionals. I've never made any music or anything. I've just always been a fan. Uh, since day one. Yeah, so Weekend Beats was actually like a compilation then? Or was yeah, that it was, uh, no, it was just a series where it'd be one producer for each release. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I think we did uh, I think we did a Devin Who uh, tape and a, a High Res one. Uh, Tope, we did one with him. I'm um, spacing on others. But uh, but yeah, nah, I, I've always just been kind of a creative director, executive producer, curator type, you know, role. Yeah, cool. Um, so, what's your musical background like? What music did you grow up on? And like, in terms of um, first experiences, like creating. Yeah, kind of random stuff. I think, I think the first tape I remember having was the soundtrack to the Mighty Ducks, 
And that was like a lot of, you know, big like stadium rock, like Queen and uh, things like that. (laughs) So that was the first thing that really grabbed me when I was real young. And then, yeah, I I really got into Queen (laughs) when I was young. And then uh, then Michael Jackson, of course, because it was like, you know, early 90s and he was king of the world. I think my first CD was the Michael Jackson history, you know, double disc, uh, greatest hits. And then from there, I got into a lot of like grunge rock and stuff like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And at the same time, I was super into Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. This is all when I was like, like first and second grade, I was really into all that. And I was like, just super into it. I mean, I would nerd out on. I would like write down all the lyrics and notebooks, and like uh, if the albums didn't have credits as to who was playing each instrument, I would try to figure it out myself and <laughs> write it down. Just like crazy nerd things. I just lived in my bedroom, just play, you know, music and go into another world. But uh, and then I think around middle school is when I really started to get into rap uh that was uh because i grew up in new jersey i moved to to portland or the suburb a suburb of portland uh uh my freshman year of high school so like i think like fifth or sixth grade is when i started getting into rap and that was kind of like the bad boy like biggie uh puffy mace kind of era and some of that stuff was cool to me i thought it was like all my friends were into it so i was kind of into it and kind of like the trying to fit in thing uh, you know, as you do in middle school, I was just like, yeah, they like it. I like it. It's cool enough. But uh, I, in, in, in New Jersey, we would pick up all the New York radio stations. So it wasn't until I heard like an old school, I was like uh, an old school radio show. It was like uh, cool DJ Red Alert. Uh, I think at noon, like the lunch hours, he would play like all 80s and 90s classic uh, rap. He played like Boogie Down Productions. I think it was I'm Still Number One. And that song, for some reason, just like blew my mind. And that, and then I really got into like the old stuff because you know he shouts everyone out in that song. So I made a list and just kind of checked out each uh, rapper, you know, from that like Eric B and Rakim and Public Enemy and all that. So I was getting really into uh, all of like the golden era rap stuff, you know, like ten years after the fact. And that's when I really fell in love with uh, with hip hop. Awesome, man. So what made you decide to turn Fresh Selects into a proper record label? Uh, Honestly, I mean, a record label is something I've always wanted to do ever since I was a kid. That was like the ultimate dream, but it just seemed like something. It was kind of like, all right, when I get rich, I'm going to start a label because it just seemed like there's no way you could do it without money, you know? Yeah. Uh, And then I was just kind of like watching how things were going. It was really mind design. He was... uh, he was uh, putting out these cassette tapes. He would like, you know, make an EP on Bandcamp. And then he was just like, I think he was like buying tapes from like Goodwill and stuff like that. Like exercise tapes that had, you know, like a, a set that would have like 10 tapes. And he was just dubbing over them and crossing out <laughs> the names and writing. Wow. Mine is so on. Raw. Yeah, super raw, like extremely DIY and, and selling them like limited edition, like 15 copies at a time on his Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah. Of course, they would sell out in like 10 minutes. And there was a few that sold out before I could get them. And I was just like, damn, man. Like, <laughs> then I was like, yo, if it's really that easy, then I looked into the price of manufacturing cassettes, like, you know, in a legit way, like through a factory. And it was super affordable. So I reached out to him like, yo, man, like, how about like, let's do an experiment. Like, what if I put out your next release on a on cassette and we see how, how well it does? Like, you know, if you could sell 50 copies, 
yourself in, in 10 minutes, let's try to sell like 250 copies and, you know, put a few hundred dollars behind it. And like, you know, him being the super cool guy that he is, like, uh, he was like, yeah, okay, I'm down. And so his next release was uh, Breatharian and we just kind of like took it from there. And uh, yeah, my goal was to sell 30 copies. I mean, sell, uh, we pressed up 250 copies and I wanted to sell all of them in the first 30 days. And on day number 30, we sold our last copy. And I was like, oh shit, like, okay, this might actually work. And uh, and that was kind of the idea at first was just like, uh, that's always been a big thing with me is trying, is uh, all my favorite releases, I wanted them to have some sense of uh, permanence, you know? Cause like a lot of the stuff that I posted on the website in 2008 uh, or early on would be like Z share links or rapid share links yeah. and they're all dead, you know? So later when I relaunched the site around like 2011, I uh, hosted them all on my own server. So I'm like, okay, you know, just so that won't happen again. But even all those links are dead now because my, my site is down. You know, I only have a band camp up now. Yeah. Uh, so like all those releases are just kind of like in limbo. Like I'm sure they live on certain people's hard drives, but you can't just Google and, and pull them up. So I'm like, damn, like uh, it's, I th- it's really important to me that they that these releases uh, exist in, in at least some physical form so like it can be passed down to future generations or even just for ourselves in 10 15 years when we want to like you know relive our uh, 20s we can pull out you know our favorite albums whether it's on tape or cd or something so uh, that was kind of the idea at first is i kind of wanted to be like I, i'm really uh, big into movies uh so i was inspired by like, the criterion collection how they would kind of like restore lost movies from like yeah. the 60s and you know and, and far beyond that and also and also kind of elevate certain newer releases that they thought were you know of that level so i kind of that's kind of how i saw fresh selects operating as a label at first uh but then it was really low leaf that changed that because she uh you know of course she knows my design they all they live together uh, in a house with a few other uh, musicians for some time and I think it was like the the week I announced publicly because we kind of kept it secret until we like really had a release date and the tapes you know sent off that uh I announced that Fresh Lex was going to be a label my first release was Mind Design Low Leaf texted me and was like hey can my next release come out on Fresh Selects and I was like boy oh. it's like damn okay like <laughs> yeah that'd be amazing so that was like the first original you know re- uh release that wasn't a re-release and then just having so much fun putting out that project, I was like, well, shit, like, why don't I just do this? <laughs> so, so we've just been kind of doing it uh, that way from that point on. Man, you're such a dope story. Sorry, I'm just taking it all in. There's so much information. Um, yeah, I know. Sorry. Like, no, no, no. It's awesome, man. Like, it's cool to get so in depth. Could be could lead to like two hours of talking. So if I'm if I'm rambling, please tell me. Nah, shut up. Honestly, honestly, anything you have to offer, people are gonna want to hear, man. Uh, it's all of use and it's all real interesting. Uh, especially because my next question, well, my next couple of questions are about your releases anyway. Um, so Brafarian was actually released on tapes before. Uh, no, it was released uh, only. It was released on Mondesign's Bandcamp. Uh, uh-huh. And then I released it on tape for the first time, and we re- and we added bonus tracks, and uh, and we added like instrumental versions, and he gave me exclusive bonus mix. We added all types of uh, yeah, Frugal Earth Part Two, I think it was right. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. that was all kind of accidental, really, but <laughs> but it all, it all worked out in the end. Like uh, 
I think it, it kind of seemed intentional. So maybe I don't even want to tell that story. We'll just say that, yeah, <laughs> right. we had all that stuff. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Because I mean, from that EP, you also had the, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Inidia or Inidia. Yeah, right, EP, right. Which the is remix. The, the remix EP. Yeah. Imano, like, Mario and all them guys. And it just seemed like yeah. so much. So it was, it's hard to explain. Because like, my design stuff is like usually a tape and you, you download it that's it that's how you experience it that was that was the content and the way it was pushed but when right. when it when you up the level to like releasing through fresh selects it was like okay then you had the the mix coming out with it you had the remix yeah. this whole thing that was like a multi-tiered release almost yeah and that was my whole thing is i felt like uh and you know of course no disrespect to how he he and other artists were doing things before because obviously it was working you know but it was just my theory and again it was a bit of an experiment that like yo if you would like treat this release like a bit more like i totally understand the the diy lo-fi aesthetic and i think especially for that kind of crowd like the beat scene i think they really appreciate things that are really sincere and directly from the artists and and i do too so i understand it but like just from uh I don't know, not from like a cold business sense, but again, just kind of from a historical sense. I'm like, yo, if we just gave this project a little bit more attention, a little bit more strategy behind it than, you know, that I feel like it deserves, I feel like it would really take things to the next level. And I would always tell them that even in the blog days, like my design and knowledge, like they're notorious for just like, uh, they would finish a project and not tell anyone about it, or, you know, not tell me about it at least, and then just put it out uh, on Bandcamp the next day and just kind of you know and it, of course it would do well because it's my design and knowledge like anyone who who, who, knows, who likes their stuff is going to check for their new release like no problem and they all follow them but uh my whole thing was like man like give me like one song from it a week before so we can kind of get people ready and i can kind of premiere it and now push it to all the other blogs because you know my design and knowledge and all those guys they were killing it on their own but they weren't really getting any press like oh like even like okay player and people who really kind of keep their ear to the streets they never wrote about those guys until just recently until really until breatharian yeah. and then you know now the the stones throw stuff uh which again is fine because they've been doing you know they've been touring and getting placements and all this stuff without press but I, i've just seen it with other artists i just know that once you start to get press how that kind of helps things move faster through the industry machine, you know, as it is. So yeah, that was my whole theory behind Breatharian. I was just trying to show uh, Ringo, you know, kind of personally and and other artists that like, yeah, if you kind of give it with a little, you come at it with a little bit more strategy and make it last longer. Cause that was the thing, they would put it out and everyone would rush and buy it the first day it was out. And then it would kind of be a trickle of sales, you know, for like a week. And then it'd be kind of dead in the water cause all their fans already had it. And then they have yeah. to put out the next tape, you know, two, three weeks after that, where I'm like, yo, you could live, you could let Breatharian live for like six months if you really kind of treat it right. Yeah, uh, and that ties into the history thing as well because it, it makes it even more timeless. Exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad you did, especially with Breatharian, because listening to that EP, that's like set the standard for what a concept EP, like EP yeah. producer should be, or LP, whatever. Concept project should be for a producer because uh, it's incredible, man. It's, I, I think it's my favorite Mind Design release, and I have like yeah, I have all I of them. I think it is too, and I could say that without any bias, because originally that wasn't supposed to be the first Selects project. Like he was working on another one for me. It was uh, it was gonna be called Milo, 
because he uh, we were talking we were talking about doing a project and he he made a bunch of beats or he sent me some beats he had laying around and they're all dope. But I told him just to kind of add some more and finish it. And, uh, and then he just kind of I kind of lost track of him. We didn't talk for a little bit. And then when I caught up with him again a few weeks later, I was like, yo, man, what's up? You got any new stuff? And he was like, oh, man, like things have been rough. Like my cat just died. It really kind of took me out of the zone. I was like, damn, that's real. Like, you know, I've had cats before. Like, I get it. And I was like, yo, what if we like made a tape, you know, dedicated to Milo, his cat? You know, he was like, yeah, yeah that could be kind of dope. Like, all right, let's do that. And then in the meantime, I think he just kind of put together this tape and he hit me up like, yo, I'm going to put out this tape called Bertharian next week. And I was like, what? Like, why? Like, I thought, <laughs> I thought I was <laughs> what happened to that And he was like, yo, man, like, you know, it's just kind of like times are tight. I need to like pay rent. I'm like, well, that's real. Like, I can't really, you know, tell you otherwise. So I'm like, all right, we'll put it out. And then he did. And I heard it. And I was like, yo, this is too good. I was like, let, let this be the project. Like, <laughs> let me put out this one. So he was like, all right. And so that's how it became uh the tape and same thing <laughs> same thing with uh with frugal earth he was like he had already done one and we were uh working on getting the you know the final the finishing touches and originally the remixes were going to be on breatharian so we were waiting on the remixes to come back uh and he was like yo i'm gonna put out frugal earth volume two and i was like what why like <laughs> yo let me like come on just give me some more time and he was like ah i need to and i was like how much money do you think you're gonna make from it and he told me the amount i was like all right i'll give you that amount and we'll just include it as a free download for breath air and he was like all right that's fair and so that's how that's how <laughs> is now a part of breath air wow man <laughs> yeah that's that's been my that's been my experience kind of uh throughout this whole thing it's just you know it's things things got to move fast uh on you know for the artist side for it to make uh sense but i need time you know from a business standpoint to get things ready so i'm always having to kind of put out fires and remedy that uh but you must keep busy yeah to say the least because yeah i mean the producer has their own timing the people have their own time sometimes you have to like wait until the people are ready yeah exactly you don't want to drop like maybe two songs in in two days yeah you gotta let it stronger and a lot more potent. let people catch on yeah exactly yeah, i like yeah. to i like to tell a story with each album and kind of kind of like breadcrumbs leading them to the final you know pot of gold which is the album and then even once the album is out having some breadcrumbs after the fact which you know music videos and remixes and things like that so it's not just like the album's out okay cool i love it now what else you got instead it could be like oh the album's out then little reminder is that you love it yeah. <laughs> you know so that it kind of sticks with you yeah good thing you brought up the the music videos because that leads into my next question so from Bretharian, we got the fantastic video for hiking slash fifth dim which yeah. you co-directed uh, with adam r garcia of the Prince. yeah was that uh-huh. your first music video because i know you'd wanted to go into directing no that was actually my fifth i think i did a series of music videos and one short film for coltrane's album that he put out through plug research and those were the first ever uh videos i directed and those were like a real blessing Uh, i made a lot of uh amateur mistakes that you know anyone does when going into a new field and it was a lot of on the job learning uh and those i kind of co-directed too with my homie uh noah porter who's a really talented uh, director and, and editor uh, here in Portland, but uh, but so it was it was dope to kind of switch up, uh, switch things up and go to uh, even more uh, 50-50 kind of direction. Uh, and this one 
it, uh, my design, that video was cool because this time the roles were kind of reversed where like they came up with the treatment and they like pitched it to me. It was the first time in my life where I was, uh, where I was the client. Cause I've worked in, uh, as a day job, I've worked at like marketing agencies for a little bit. Like I worked at Adidas and different agencies that I would pitch to Adidas. And you always see how these people, uh, I've always been, you know, like on the side of people who are pitching to the client or I've been trying to sell. Yeah. And I was like, but it was cool. That was the first time in my life. Someone was like pitching something to me to see if I liked it. I was like, damn, this is kind of cool. And yeah, they had a great idea. And I loved it. Uh, their whole idea was that like someone, you know, because the, the problem obviously was how do we make a music video with Mind Design not in it? Because, you know, to fly him up to Portland from L.A. would be, you know, most of the budget. Like we, we made that, midi- that video for like literally no money, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so they came up with a treatment and they said uh, a guy, you know, listening to music and he gets kind of transported. Like he's listening to the song and he gets transported to kind of like this this fantasy world and they were going to design uh all of these images and then you know uh kind of project them uh using you know video projectors and stuff like that and i loved it my only thing was like yeah can we make it a girl because i feel like the beat scene is already so uh testosterone and so heavy yeah male driven i was like yeah i would love i like i love it can we just make it a girl though because i feel like that's what you know the beat scene needs just more women involved and i didn't want it to be like a sexualized thing i didn't want it to be like a half naked girl or like a, yeah. a you know uh and it's so something easy to like say that. yes to that or to to, to turn it into that so it's, right it's that you had like a yeah. female lead yeah so i was like, sexy like and appealing cool. without being right. sexy and appealing, but she's just you know cool I mean? yeah, yeah yeah she's just a cool normal girl like what a concept you know like like <laughs> ones that we all know in real life <laughs> yeah and you know and they were they were of course like super open as soon as i said that they were like oh yeah like that's great and so that was really like the only idea i could take credit for okay. in the whole the whole thing and then you know i was there on set and then I, I cast her like that's the homie laura she's actually a really dope uh designer herself so I, and that was important to me too i wanted to be someone who would kind of understand what we were doing and she was really into the whole idea of the the things that they designed. If you go to the Pressure's website, you could see uh, the designs that they projected onto her. In the video, it's a bit obscure because it's just kind of, you know, lights and stuff like that. But yeah. I think the effect is still there. But if you see the designs, they actually made a physical magazine that she's looking at in the beginning. And then she kind of falls asleep or dreams. And then she's in, you know, this world of design. So you could actually, I, I own the, the mag, they let me keep the magazine that they made. They like actually printed out, you know, a book and made a magazine for the video. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really cool, but that was kind of a learning experience in itself. I think that's where I kind of pushed it a little bit too far as far as, uh, I don't want to say commercializing, but as far as like taking these DIY releases and treating them like more traditional label releases Mm. is we, uh, we released that video through Vivo. And the next question. (laughs) Yeah. The number one comment on the video was why Vivo? Why, why does Bonnie Zine have a Vivo channel? Yeah, yeah. And there was like a hundred likes. And it's funny because the person who made that comment was this guy, Simon, who's now in that group uh, with Spooky Black and all that. What's the oh, name? Blowing up. Yeah, the standard. And I love their stuff. So I'm like, damn, Simon said that? <laughs> so, like, so like, you know, that's the last video I ever put on Vivo. I was like, all right, that was corny. Like, we pushed it a little bit too far, you know? 
but uh but yeah so we kind of reeled it in a bit <laughs> from there but you know i'm learning that was my first release so I, i'm but i am paying attention and i'm not i'm not too big to admit when we kind of you know made a mistake and, and and adjusted from there yeah i don't i don't even think it was like people going ah oh, viewers or this like pouring and like big labels right. and like pimping artists things it was more the surprise of it because people, yeah like, half, at least half the people were like but how like his mind design he's been making tapes where he crosses yeah. out the name and he personalizes the artwork how does how, how does this work yeah that's why that's why i liked it because i was like yeah fuck it like like we like you know he can be on that same level like watch and the, and the video is really kind of universal it's not underground looking it's very like that could have been a rihanna video you know obviously not maybe production quality but just like treatment wise or like look yeah. it wasn't like uh, a super niche thing yeah uh, so that was kind of me trying to be bold with that but like i said i think maybe we went <laughs> a little bit too far and then and then when they came out with the mind design videos uh through stone's throw like the one he did with uh alima well we saw the vhs one uh for was it eggs and then yeah. uh, the one in the thrift shop i saw how effective those were and i was like okay like yeah i see i see what i did and what they did and i think I, I, it, it was it changes how I would approach things in the future, but I, I still I still love the video and I like it for what it is, you know. Yeah, you should. Um, it's a great video anyway. It's just interesting to see the response to like the channel. Yeah, it was released through. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it seems like delivering a product across mixed media and platforms with Unity is an important thing for the label. For yeah. example, again, I don't know if I can pronounce this. Lowly's Akasha Lay. Man, I mispronounce it all the time too okay. and I feel embarrassed. I'm trying to talk Akasha to her and Lay. she's like, she's like, what'd you say? And I'm like, damn it. I'm like, your album, you know? I just, <laughs> that I LP just of not yours. to even say it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know that, what you're talking about. That yeah. LP, uh, the songs, the album art, the video, they're all so cohesive in both message and delivery. Can yeah. you expand on how you, your team, and the artists work together to bring that to fruition? Though I guess it yeah. varies every time. Yeah, it does kind of vary every time, uh, but that album was kind of worked uh, pretty ideally. Uh, originally, like I said, Low Leaf approached me. We had previous discussions. I was trying to get her a distribution deal because she was another artist who was putting out amazing uh, projects and just uploading them herself through Bandcamp, which again is, you know, not to slight that because I put out my projects through Bandcamp, you know? But like she wasn't really doing singles or any press or anything. She was just kind of uploading and then promoting. And it's amazing how far it went through that. And I think that speaks, you know, to just how quality her music is, which is yeah. something I think we all saw. But so uh, so she reached out to me when so we had already we were already having conversations about uh, me helping her get distribution because I don't know. It just kind of wasn't even on my mind to, to ask her or approach her too directly because I was kind of like yeah I'm gonna do this cassette thing and re-releases and it'll mostly be like beat tapes and stuff like that and then when she uh asked me I was like yeah like why damn like why didn't I think of that like yeah you should come you're like we should progress your project dude. that's a great idea that's what this label should be about is putting out projects like Low Leaf there's no there's no other label that I feel like Low Leaf would really fit in on I'm like I should be that label like I love her stuff and, and I love all the stuff that she would, you know, fit in with. Uh, so that was kind of like a, a, a pivotal point. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, but I'm getting sidetracked. But yeah, so the process for that album was she she had an album done and she turned it in to me. And I think it was 14 songs or something like that. 
and uh, and I'm super critical uh, with when I when I listen to to albums and when I when it's an album that I'm going to be putting out on my label, I'm even more critical than I would be just as a listener, you know. So my thing with Lolif, uh, she's always made amazing projects, but they've been I don't know, she's gotten like incredibly better with each release she put out. Each one was just like uh, distinctly better than the one before it. But some of them were a bit all over the place, just kind of a lot of really great songs, but they didn't necessarily come together as one cohesive statement. Uh, but the one she put out just before uh, Akasha Ale, uh, I think, uh, was really good. It was all acoustic and it all kind of flowed, you know, uh, more or less. But uh, so she turned in 14 songs and and there was like definitely some some commonalities between them, but there was some songs like there was one song that was just kind of like her on some rock stuff and it was really dope, but it just didn't really fit in with the rest to me. And it seemed like and then when I talked to her about what she wanted the album to be about, she did have a clear message. And I was like, OK, that's great. I love it. Let's take away everything that doesn't drive home that message unless it's completely essential, you know. So I think I wanted to take away uh, maybe like five or six songs. There was some compromise where I wanted to take away certain songs and she was like, actually all those songs were ones that I was kind of iffy on anyways. So like, I'm cool with that. But there was two that she was like, these need to stay because they're really important to the story. And I was like, okay, perfect. So we just came to that perfect compromise. And I was like, how about this song order now that those songs are gone? And she was like, yeah, that's cool. And she kind of took that and rearranged a few things. And she was like, how about this song order? And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's perfect. And, uh, and yeah, so it was just that like perfect, cause I never want to be that, you know, I never want to be the suit, you know, quote unquote, or like telling someone like, you need to make a hit. Like there's no hits on this, go back and write me a hit. Or like, you know, I'll never be that dude. Like I yeah. never want to tell someone how to, how to write or how to sing or how to record. Like I won't be working with them if I didn't think that their stuff was incredible already. But I do want to bring out the best, uh, from each artist and specifically each uh, release, you know, because I think there's so many albums to me and usually they do just fine anyways, but to me uh, that could have been better if they were just sequenced a bit more intentionally. And it's not even that, you know, sometimes it's just a difference of opinion, like, oh, no, that's how I wanted it. I'm like, okay, cool, that's not how I see it, but if that's how you wanted it, then like, that's what it is. But sometimes it's just kind of an oversight where people aren't even really thinking about sequencing or thinking about how uh one track ends and how it plays into the one after it you know yeah and those are things i'm just like i just want you to think about it so if you're really thinking about it and you listen to those last six seconds of track number two and those first five seconds of track number three and you're happy with it then that's cool as long as you think about it and you're actually listening for that you know so that's a that's a conversation i, I usually have about you know every album just little things like that and then the artwork and then the, the artwork for the singles, like all the details to me are like a big, a big difference between like a cool album and like a, a timeless album that people can kind of, you know, because when you buy old records, when you come across that perfect record, that's just you can play. You never have to move the needle. That's such like a, a gem, but it's so rare. There's so many records. You're like, yeah, this has like three cuts that are heat and the rest are kind of whatever. They're like random covers of Beatles songs or just stuff that doesn't really work and doesn't really, it probably worked from like a marketing sense at the time. But 40 years later, you're like, yeah, we don't really need these songs, but this one right here is the one, you know? So I'm trying to have, I'm really only trying to put out albums where like you never need to touch the needle. 
And I think, uh, and then so when we put out Low Leaf's album, like that's the, most of the feedback, like if you go to the Bandcamp page, like most of the user reviews are like, this is Low Leaf's best album, it's her most cohesive one, you know, from her fans. And then from a press level, you know, we got a lot of people saying that same thing. So I felt really, uh, it was reaffirming, you know, I think to both of us that like, that was a goal that we had. And we didn't say that, we didn't put that in the press or anything. Like we didn't say it was, you know, her, her most, you know, cohesive release to date or whatever, but that's like, we just put that intention into it and people caught that. And that's like the first comment that a lot of people made. So that felt, that felt really good, I think, for both of us. Yeah, that's gonna be amazing, especially as like the first one that you had like a, a true hand in. Yeah. Um, to find out that, you know, like it's not just, like it's not just you hearing it and like one way and that being right that, i'm not it's, crazy it's, you're hearing yeah. it how right. everyone needs to hear it as well so the, and the fact that you and lodif can speak and compromise on both sides um that's huge that's rare there's yeah. some artists who are just not trying to hear it and yeah. like and there's some of my favorite artists and they make amazing music and I, you know i try to respect it and, and work around it and and do like you know influence we just with each artist you just kind of have to figure out your borders of like what you can have a hand in and what you can't yeah, and try to work within that but yeah it's really a blessing for Loli. and you know i kind of had to earn it with her which is totally fair because she's been doing this on her own for so long so i can't just come in and be like okay you're doing it on my label now we're gonna do it like this she would like you know she'd be like what are you crazy so like you know i have to yeah like and rightfully so like who the, who am i to you know tell her how to do what she's been doing great you know for five seven years already but uh but i think now i think i've kind of earned her trust and also i know i know her better as a person so like yeah we, we seem to work better and better you know as time goes on we kind of get to know each other and our our kind of our uh, our stubbornness and also our sensitivities and things like that and i think that's crucial uh with all the artists is to kind of like get a sense for that and be like what can i give you feedback on and what can't i because what i can't i'll just accept for what it is but <laughs> but for what i can like let's you know brainstorm it out man before fresh selects became a label if i'm right you already had an art department engineer and marketing department right so at what point in your journey did you acquire those <laughs> yeah it just kind of all came along pretty uh pretty naturally as these things go uh let, let's, let's let's take it case by case so with the the art department uh <laughs> so to speak uh that was uh, at the time it was my man uh nate james who's a really talented graphic designer he does these amazing collages and he more or less kind of came up with this style of collage that a lot of people have taken and ran with uh, ever since and it's kind of become like the go-to template for how beat tape cover art is made for for my money he was one of the very first if not the first to kind of come up with that style but uh with him it was funny because uh it actually all comes back to my design again he uh he had done this uh mix called uh birch's which was really just kind of like, it was just like a mix of samples that he never used. So it wasn't even chops or loops, it was just the samples themselves. And he, I think he like uploaded it to a SoundCloud or something like that. And I was like, yo, this is amazing. Like, can I, uh, can I post this on the site? And we, uh, I think from there, we decided to do like a remix contest and, you know, for people to take their favorite sample and to flip it. Uh, so when he, but he had a really dope uh, artwork for it but there was no credits for it or anything. And I know Ringo is pretty talented and I just assumed that he did it. So when I put, I like to uh, include the credits every time I post something. So I posted the 
the you know mind design purchases and i said mixed by mind design artwork by mind design and you know all that and then uh the, the i think the day after the post went up i got a, a email from nate james being like hey i did the artwork on the mind design stuff would you mind to you know uh, uh you know giving me my credit and i was like oh shit like my bad like i guess i never even asked i just assumed that he did it yeah. uh i was like yo man i love your stuff like i need someone who could do do artwork and he was like oh yeah i'm super down like you know he was into the site and yeah he did like the dibiase cut the cover and uh i think the first project we did was uh i re-released uh coltrane's uh god must be a boogeyman and that was something he had done himself and he had done it with uh some artwork that again me being a jerk uh, i was just not into and i was like man like that <laughs> like that project is so dope to have that as its artwork like it just didn't sit right with me and that was like one of the few projects coltrane had put out uh without me it was at a time where me and him weren't really like you know checking in with each other every as often as we do you know ever since uh so i was like damn i was out of the loop for that one and it came out <laughs> with a cover that not would have came out of us in the picture so yeah. we like went back and redid it and we did and i, I kind of really tested nate i was like all right i got a test for you like if you could do i need a, a pdf booklet of this coltrane album with his like lyrics and liner notes and all that and it was like a 20 page thing and he killed it and within like a month and ever since then i was like okay cool like on the team yeah, and so for a, a long, a pretty good, like, two to three years, he did, like, all my artwork, and he was great, and he was always super quick turnarounds, like, it would always be, like, you know, like, that DBIC thing, it'd be like, yo, I <laughs> put out a DBIC tape in, like, two days, could you come up with some artwork? Like, all I, all I know is that it's going to be called Comfort Zone. He was like, yeah, I love DBIC, and he just came up with something, like, an astronaut with his helmet off and, you know, head twisted and everything, I was like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> we ran with it like it's just a done deal, you know. Yeah, so true. Actually, now looking at the uh, comfort zone artwork, I can see it says Fresh Selects Weekend Beats number nine. Exactly. On top yeah. of it, I I never subtle. ever clocked that before. Yeah, I like to keep it subtle. I really don't like to overbrand stuff. I I didn't even have a logo for the label for the first like year and a half. I have one now, and it's never going to be on an album cover. It'll always just be real small on the back cover. Like I don't like to to overbrand stuff. I like artists to kind of be themselves and fresh selects to be you know a part of it rather than fresh selects be the thing that the artists are branded with and you know are a part of uh but so anyways yeah i'm getting sidetracked again so that's how i got my art guy initially and then uh the engineer uh man there's this project that hopefully one day we'll see the light of day but there was a time where i was uh relaunching fresh selects in like 2011 uh and I was doing a compilation with Waji and it was kind of like my career kind of coming in full circle where I'd kind of gone off and done some things on my own. And, you know, Waji kind of saw, you know, what I was doing and he like, you know, was super yeah. supportive of it. And he was like, yo, let's do something together. I was like, okay. So he sent me just a, like three folders worth of beats. And he was like, take of these what you want and kind of aim on get get different people to rap on them get people to sing on them like all your like yeah so and i did it that was amazing that was really the first project i ever really like executive produced you know super hands-on uh so we just i went around and got a bunch of people and uh but then when i started sending things back to him he was like really impressed he was like damn like these songs came out like legit he was like these are too good to just kind of like throw out there we need to get these mixed do you know anyone who mixes and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I got someone. And then knowing damn well I didn't, but I just didn't want to like let him down, you know? Yeah, so, 
<laughs> so I told my friend Adam, uh, Doc Adam, who's like one of the best DJs uh, in Portland at the time. He's now moved to Seattle, and now he's one of the best DJs in Seattle. But uh, but uh, he, uh, I was telling him, he's a big fan of YG, and he's always been real supportive of what I did. Uh, what I was doing and I was like yo I need someone to mix these projects like how are we gonna do that we don't have any budget I don't even know what mixing like fully is you know I was like really <laughs> inexperienced like, I knew what it was but I don't know how you do it or like what yeah, it looks yeah. like and he I was like yeah. he was like you know what like I've been meaning to kind of teach myself how to how to mix like I bet you like give me like a few weeks so I can teach myself and I was like yeah alright let's, let's try that so uh so he I was like yeah I got someone to mix like send all the stems so he you know did his thing he like it was dope cause he gave me kind of demo beats and then the rappers would loop them and rap over that and then once they once they did that this is what makes YG so much iller than a lot of other producers is once they recorded over it he then took the track back and would finish his beat around what they did and would add you know riches yeah and it would change between verses and all these ill dropouts and like that's what made the songs like amazing they weren't just like eight or four eight bar loops you know they were like real arrangements uh so he did that and then he sent back the stems and adam just kind of looked at all these video tutorials and he didn't even have pro tools to this day he doesn't have pro tools he mixes in ableton uh so he did the first mix and it sounded pretty good and we sent it and I, I sent it to Wajid. I was like yo this is Adam like he's been mixing shit for years he's the best engineer <laughs> you know in Portland and Wajid like you know Wajid is like me he's super critical of shit so if he didn't like it I'd know right away he would have been like no we need to like been sweating boy <laughs> yeah he, I, I was he was like yo man we need to get someone for real but he heard it and he was like yeah this is dope like how much is he charging? I was like, man, he's doing it for free. He was like, all right, he's the one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Adam kind of taught himself how to mix, uh, doing that whole project, and and it's just been getting better and better uh, ever since. So to this day, pretty much every project I have that needs mixing, Adam does. Uh, but a lot of the projects lately have been kind of the artists mixing it themselves, and then uh, Adam will master it. But yeah, just kind of whatever you know falls into that category of needing something like Adam. You know, does it all in Ableton still to this day. Man. That's, so, that's, yeah, it's, it's just been little things like that where it's just like I have a need and then just like the universe provides something. I'm just like, OK, wow, like that's that's exactly what I needed at that exact moment. And it just came together and it's been it's my, my whole life story has been like that pretty much. I've been really fortunate. Yeah. So that project is unreleased, huh? Yeah, uh, now see, now it's kind of in this limbo. We made it, we recorded most of it in like 2010. Uh, so it's in this weird limbo where like, if we were to put it out now, it like, to me, like it, it's timeless, but just kind of some of the people we, we reached out to and just kind of like, it would seem a bit weird if it just came out today. I don't think we could pull it off as being like, like people would know we didn't make it like this month, you know? So it's yeah. in this weird limbo where it's like not old enough to be nostalgic and not, recent enough to be new so i think i'm gonna wait another like five years and put it out when it's like <laughs> nostalgic or something Man. yeah but i've kind of teased a few songs over the years like i've been on different radio shows and i'll kind of play a snippet or or you know certain dj homies will kind of play something i think yg played a track or two when he was on benji b like you know little things are out there but nothing has ever come out uh in full but yeah that's one that's that's kind of in orbit that you know right situation comes could land at any moment need to hear that <laughs> need to hear that for sure um 
And yeah, just quickly about your marketing department as well. What, what is, where did that come from? Are you, are you the marketing department? Yeah, I'm. I'm all the. I'm all the departments. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm. I'm a little too hands-on to ever really fully delegate. Even when Adam is mixing, when he was here in Portland, I would be annoyingly right over his shoulder the whole time. Like, turn that down. Oh, turn this up. Oh, okay, put it back where it was. Like, just the worst. Like, most annoying little brother anyone could ask for. But uh, so, and then then with the artwork, like sometimes Nate or now, you know, Rob or other people I'm working with, like they'll, sometimes they'll knock it right out of the park and like the comfort zone. I was like, yeah, it's perfect. Like, you know, boom, or like, okay, I'm gonna put that up in an hour. Other stuff, I'm like, nah, that's not really like how I saw it. We need something darker or more, you know, just like whatever, you know, sometimes I have a certain vision and I really can't, uh, kind of like uh i don't know I, I don't feel it doesn't i can't put it out if it doesn't feel right you know so yeah. we'll go back and forth until it feels right uh so yeah so i'm really i'm pretty hands-on with all the departments i have uh i have uh you know a press agent i work with uh, i'm pretty hands-on with that too like i write all the the one sheets and i write all the press releases and i reach out to a lot of press people myself uh, so yeah, like I've, I've got a hand in everything, but but again, just like I was saying, as as things have kind of been growing and getting a little bit out of my two hands, and I've kind of had this need, then people have just been popping up like, hey man, I, I love what you're doing. Like people I've known for years and I trust, and are super official at what they do, have been reaching out to me like, hey man, I love what you're doing. Can I be a part of it? I'm like, yeah, that's great. Why didn't I think of that? Like, just like when Lowleaf reached out to me, I'm like, damn, that should have been my idea. Like, yeah, you should, you should be a part of Fresh and Lens. So there's been a few people who've been coming, who've been kind of, you know, coming on staff. Uh, none of them are here <laughs> locally, ironically. But yeah, I got, I got someone in Brooklyn, someone in San Francisco, and someone in, in LA that, as of the last few weeks, have kind of like you know come on board and kind of unofficial consulting roles and kind of helping me out so it's cool to see it all kind of come together ultimately I'd, I'd of course love to get us all in the same city and really get like an official staff but for the time being like you know things are things are working out uh with, with what we've got you know yeah yeah so your radio show tight songs is slightly younger than fresh Lake's time as a record label with it yeah. having began or begun in March of last year, what prompted the decision to start a radio show? Uh, that was something that I just kind of always thought would be cool to do. Uh, I just know myself and if I didn't have some type of format or a due date uh, that like some outside force like a radio station would impose on me that I would never... Because people are just like, oh, why don't you start a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, I just know myself and I'm such a perfectionist <laughs> that like... I would just spend a full month on getting one episode right, and then I would. Then if next month I just one thing came up, like oh I had to go out of town, and then I just would just like forget about it, you know. Yeah. So like I, I need I need some structure for something like that. With the label I'm good with, you know, because that's like my everything. That's my focus. So like I'm good at structuring that. The structuring any like, extracurricular activities, I'm like nah. Like someone's got to really tell me when it's due and when I got to show up. So, uh, yeah, so my friend started, uh, hit me up and told me they're starting this uh, radio station here in Portland. And they, they reached out to some of my other friends who were kind of all experts in their respective fields or genres. And once he told me who else was involved, I was like, yeah, that's amazing. And actually, I had kind of even like put a tweet out just trying to like put it out into the world and lightweight, try to like manifest something. Like, I think like 
three or four months earlier like it'd be really cool to do some type of terrestrial radio and just you know put it out there and I, you know funnily enough like this guy doesn't even have twitter he never saw that but just the fact that i put that out into the world he came out of nowhere called me out of blue it was someone who he used to be a bartender at uh this venue that i threw a concert series at it was like a fresh selects presents you know concert series for a full year and he just liked all the the acts that i was booking at the time and he you know he's since gone on to his own success where he's he quit bartending and now he owns his own bar and it's like one of the coolest bars in portland and then now he you know he's working for this new radio station x-ray fm as the program director and he's like yo i'm just going around trying to get everyone who's like the best of their genre and I just want to reach out to you. And I think he originally kind of had in mind me kind of being like a hip hop thing. And uh, but I was like, yeah, that's cool. But like, here's what I really want to play. And I kind of told him the concept I had of like kind of this, the stuff I was focusing on the label, like all this kind of in between two worlds, R&B, beat music kind of thing. And, and then really all the music that just really eclectic stuff that to me makes perfect sense next to each other, but most program directors or retail people or distributors don't see a common thread in like I listen to a lot of indie rock and I think you know maybe it's me growing up in Portland but also like I said you know I grew up on Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that so like I still listen to rock just as much as I listen to anything else and to me like certain groups like current groups like Tame Impala or uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra they have a certain groove or a certain beat driven element in their music and certain melodies so I'm like you can play UMO right next to Coltrane or Black Spade or Low Leaf and it's not that crazy you know but not too many people do that so that's kind of like one of the ideas I wanted to implement with the show and they're with it and they kind of you know they they trusted me and uh yeah I told them I wanted to name it Tight Songs because I don't really, I'm horrible with coming up with names, so I like to just, I like to just be very factual and literal uh, with things. And they were like, no, you can't call it that. Like, that's ridiculous. And I was like, trust me, like, I'm telling you, like, it's, like, it's, it's going to be dope. Like, people will be like, yo, did you, like, what were you doing? And I, oh, I'm just listening to tight songs. Like, it, I like things that just sound like a sentence, but you, if you capitalize it, it then becomes a title, you know? Yeah, and they yeah. really, they really didn't like it, but they were like, it came down to the wire. They're like, yo, we need that new name you're going to change it to. I was like, yeah, I got it. It's tight songs. <laughs> and they're like, all right, fine. Imagine the expression. They just, they, yeah, they just gave up. And then, uh, yeah, everyone to this day, like, you know, it's people remember the name and people, I still laugh every time I hear it. I think it's great. Just in anyone's voice, tight songs makes me laugh. So uh, yeah, and it's been it's been cool. Like uh, I think it's it's much more low key than the label. I think, which is great for me because I'm pretty bad at it still. Like you know, I don't I don't mix or anything like that. I don't try to. It's really just uh just uh, kind of a selected and curated playlist each week. But it's really been really helpful. And uh, because I can't mix, it's all about sequencing and making sure that. Like I was saying earlier, that the the last 10 seconds of one song plays nicely with the first 10 seconds of the song after it. Mm -hmm. So it's really helped me just kind of kind of on some outliers, you know, 10,000 hours shit of uh, just, you know, really getting a better sense of what makes something, what makes a series of songs work well together when all, when you can't change anything about them, you just have to accept them for how they are and finding that perfect order. And I try to kind of have like a, an arc of the night you know i usually st uh, start off pretty upbeat and kind of like big and then like the second half of the show because you know it's midnight to 2 a.m 
uh, in you know local time at least. So usually by the second half hour of the show, it usually gets into more kind of contemplative, sometimes sad or sometimes kind of like sexier music, but just like slower music you can kind of sleep to, you know? So it's, it's where there's always kind of like a, a movement to it. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I kind of use it as like a focus group, to be honest, where like uh, if I, I find the artists that I really like, I'll play them on the show to kind of see how they how how they fit into the context of what I'm already working with and what I'm already listening to and also to kind of gauge because the audience of the show is the audience of the label more or less just like a, a finer more focused version of it so yeah. if they're feeling it then you know I'm like okay cool like we've got something here and then usually you know <clears throat> I'll follow up and reach out to them or usually they already see it because they'll be like oh I saw you played my song on your show I'm like yeah you want can I put it out <laughs> you know and usually they're with it I've signed like five or six artists that way so it's been it's been really dope for that like I use it as kind of my own you know personal uh, like focus groups like they have at the mall <laughs> what do you think of this new candy bar flavor like I love it so that's you know it's, that's, it's my version of that yeah, you're not kidding about liking the uh, names that work in sentences because Fresh Selects yeah. kind of fits as well. They, I like exactly. how they tie together. Yeah, and that was really kind of unintentional. I just, I was just asking myself, like, like people when someone asked me like what this show is, like what is it? I was just trying to answer like what, or I was trying to think of like when I'm hosting it. Like, thank you for tuning in. You're now listening to blank. Like, what are they listening to? They're listening to tight songs. <laughs> like that's that's what it is. And then yeah, it didn't click until maybe a month later. I'm like, damn, that's like pretty much the exact same name as Fresh Selects. And that's how Fresh Selects came about too. Is just I used to just say fresh all the time as like a reaction or uh, to things in Thanks high school. Name. Yeah, and it kind of came like it kind of like you know uh, if you ever seen the movie The Sandlot, you know there's a character yeah yeah where everything he says is yeah yeah. Like, you know, something happens, he's like, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so like, so they just called him, yeah, yeah, you know, that's his name. And then in Little Rascals, there's uh-huh, where like everything he says is uh-huh. So like, that was me. Like my friends just called me Kenny Fresh because every time like a new song would come, I'm like, oh, that shit is fresh. Like I like that a lot. So then I had to stop saying it because, you know, now it's my name. So it seems stupid if I'm just like saying my name all the time. And Kenny. then one- Kenny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So then it's like, uh, so then to replace fresh, I started calling things tight, you know? Okay. So now it's just kind of like, now it's just tight. <laughs> so, so now yeah. I got to stop. Now I can't even, I feel stupid when I say something is tight. Cause they're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Tight songs. I'm like, oh shit. Like I really went <laughs> that word for me. So now I got to find something new and that'll be whatever I name, <laughs> whatever's yeah. next. Yeah, I'm glad you found uh, Fresh first because Kenny Tight doesn't work as well. No, uh, it seems real weird. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah uh, was so who aside from yourself would you say has been most influential in getting Fresh Selects to where it is today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, shit, I mean, honestly, it's the artist. Like, I think to this day, most people are a fan of, I think only until just recently, like very recently, the last few months, and I think the radio show has been a part of this because uh, it's kind of putting a voice to the name, so to speak, or kind of a face to the name with some of the flyers where they draw me on it. Uh, only, in, only very recently have people come to recognize and address Fresh Alex as an entity and as a brand. Up until that point, it's been like, I'm a fan of, of Minazon. I love the new Minazon album. I'm a fan of Low Leaf. I love the Low Leaf album. I'm a fan of Coltrane and so on and so on. And now I think it's getting to the point where they're like, 
oh shit like the same label pulled out all those you know yeah. so uh so yeah like of course like the biggest you know uh pushers of all this has of course been the artists uh other than that i don't even know i, I really feel like no offense to anyone else there's been a lot of people helping me here and there giving me tips and advice and things like that but i feel like at the end of the day it's just me and the artist like we've really in this together it's like us against the world to me is how it feels with each project like it's just like me and low leaf on this one and even you know the, the artists aren't even really involved with the other releases it's just me and lowly for her album me and coltrane with his it's like it's just the two of us and it's kind of cool in that respect it kind of you know it kind of fuels us i think yeah and it drives you closer together because it's not yeah the number of chefs in the kitchen no yeah, and me, me being a chef and them being themselves, that's always too many as is. So any any other, like, that's why if I were to have a traditional staff, I, I still to this day can't really play out in my head how it would work because I like to be so hands-on and everything. I'm like, yeah, all those conversations I still want to be a part of. So, like, what is the staff going to do? <laughs> like, all I, I really just need, like, multiple versions of myself. But, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out at one point. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll chill the fuck out and, <laughs> and relax a little bit in the future. But as for now, I'm very, I'm very uh, involved with every aspect. Yeah, cool. Uh, and you shouted out like, uh, what was the name? Adam, I think you said. Who's, yeah. Who's oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's like there's multiple too. people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like so. I, I couldn't have done any of this without without Doc Adam, without Nate James, without Rob Lewis, who's uh my current you know art department, uh, Tafik. Tafik Mardini, he's like been helping me out a lot with the art, like uh, Christine Mare, like she got me my first distribution deal, now she's helping me out with consulting, Wajid, like I could list, you know, I could yeah, do an Oscar forever. speech for 50 people, like again, like I'm not, yeah, I'm not like, uh, I can't take full credit at all, but yeah. you know, but from uh, from an outward perspective, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's me and the artist. Yeah, so if you could choose one song that defines Fresh Selects as a label, what would it be? It doesn't have to be on the label, it could be off it, it could be um, any song. Uh, you know, like from a business standpoint, I really want to say a, la a song that's on the label, but uh, a song be. that's been that's been striking me uh, recently is, uh, it's funny that I mentioned them earlier, but uh, that group, The Standard, that have a song called Binoculars. And, uh, that's the intro track, yeah. Yeah. That song's amazing, man. Yeah, I love that song. Uh, and I play it on my radio show a lot. And at first, I just, uh, a lot of times, it's funny with the radio show. Like, I just kind of, sometimes I kind of skim through tracks a little bit when I'm making the playlist. And it's just strictly off of vibe and kind of the beat. And then as the show is playing live, I'm like, oh shit, like this, this song like means so much to me and connects to me in ways that I hadn't even heard yet, you know? And as I'm really getting a chance to listen to the whole, I mean, I listen to the songs before I play them, don't get me wrong, but like, I don't really listen as intently as when it's playing. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of those songs that like, I, I'm, I'm horrible with remembering lyrics word for word, but he says something about like, mama, look what I created from my room, from my room, like, just something about like, you know, for the, he, something I created yeah, yeah, from yeah. my room for the world, for you know? The world, for the world. Damn, like, that's for really what I'm doing, like, like, yeah. fresh, like, when I started the website, I was living in my mom's basement, like, you know, like, uh, 20 years old, you know, just like, this, like the typical, like, blogger story, still living at home, and, you know, now I got, you know, my own place for some years now, <laughs> don't worry about that, but, uh, but, you know, <clears throat> It all started just yeah from 
from my room in my mom's house and it was something you know for the world and and yeah so like that's that 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 really struck a chord with me and it's dope because they're those guys are that age that i was when i started so i'm like yeah that's dope like that's i know exactly how they feel and that's like yeah so i don't know that that's something that's really resonated with me uh other than that there's it's not so much songs that i feel like kind of speak for the ethos of the label and maybe i'll think of one later on that's like a really clever answer but <laughs> off the top of my head but no have... is an awesome answer dude honestly like think <laughs> yeah. about, especially because like that song resonated with me when i first heard it as well i don't know what made them pick it as the intro song but it fits yeah so but it's well dope. setting it's the vision great. and yeah, yeah it's i mean a great intro Cyber killed I... the beat and they killed the raps too yeah but i, I was gonna say uh there's a few films that sometimes when I watch them, they, they remind me of what I'm doing with the label. And like two of them that really uh, stood out to me and were kind of in my mind when I was coming up with it, they're both documentaries. And one of them is called uh, Z Channel. Uh, it's about the, this guy who uh, created the first ever like uh, cable movie network, like before HBO and Showtime. I don't know if it was before then, but he, his was better. Like if, if, if ones existed before him, they were just kind of super generic blockbuster films. And he was kind of like the criterion collection of his day. I think it was like the, the 80s, if I'm not wrong. And he was like really picking obscure, rare, rare films and really giving them the attention they deserved. And then in certain cases, like uh, he then through that, he kind of got connections to different directors and he became friends with them. And then a director that he really loved and was a fan of, they would come out with a new movie and the critics would pan it and say it was awful. And he knew the director and he knew that the only reason why that movie came out so bad was because the studio made him cut an hour out of it, you know? So he would go to the director and be like, yo, let's like, give me the director's cut, give me the three hour version and I'll air that on my station. And then he would air, then all the movie critics would be like, oh, this is one of the most important movies of the last, you know, 10 years. And he was had a really dope, you know, uh, love and appreciation for film and a, a talent for curating and that's wow. something that that you know i've always i've always kind of strived to do with the label and the other one kind of similar concept is a a movie called who gets to call it art about i can't even remember his name but about a really influential uh art gallery curator uh, who was a big part of kind of the pop art scene with andy warhol and all those guys so those two movies i think uh, kind of represent what I'm trying to do. I can't say I'm pulling it off yet. I won't give myself that much credit, but like that's the type of legacy I'd like to leave behind. It's just kind of like a, 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 a great curator and a connector of, of people and just kind of a platform that elevated certain you know works of art and helped it get to the audience it was always meant to reach. That's a really cool answer, man. <laughs> No one's ever gone beyond the medium of uh, music. <laughs> and your music concert was cool too. Just in case you're, just, you're interested, the guy's name was Henry Geldzala or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just looked yeah. it up. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> when, when you watch the movies, both of them definitely have their interesting char uh, characteristics. And the guy who created Z Channel, he later went on to murder his wife and kill himself. So I wouldn't say he's a personal idol <laughs> in his lifestyle, but yeah. uh, what he did as a curator is definitely a huge influence on what I do. Uh, to this day and how I do it. Cool. So the most recent Fresh Selects release is the full LP version of Sir's Seven Sundays. He dropped that on SoundCloud as an EP late last year, if I recall correctly. Yeah. How did you two meet and what's the relation between the EP version he uploaded last year and the LP album that we have now? 
Yeah, see, that's kind of going back to the original concept of the album. Uh, I mean, of, of the of the label, where it's kind of like uh, trying to re- make more permanent and more strategic releases of things that were just kind of mixtapes or released, you know, just independently by an artist online. So how that came about is, uh, I think I found, I think I found it through Amano Mari, who produced one of the tracks. He retweeted the album the day it dropped, or the EP at the time. Uh, and so I checked it out. I was just looking for songs for my radio show, and I skimmed through it and listened to it. And I was like, yeah, this is really dope. So I just messaged, sir, I'd never met him or anything. And I was like, hey, man, I have a radio show. Uh, could you send me MP3s of this? I would love to play it, you know, on my show. Because you couldn't even download it. You could only stream it. I remember, trust me. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so he was super cool. And he hit me, like, right back, I think. Because it was, like, the day before my show was going to air. It was, like, on a Friday, and I do Saturday nights. So he, I think he hit me back within, like, 12 hours with a download link. And, you know, that night I played, probably I played Love You, I think. Uh, and then I really kind of sat with the songs for, like, a week and was just listening to them again and again. And I was like, man, like, this is way too good. Like, I hit him back, like, yo, I'll... I didn't even mention this, but I also have a label. Like, <laughs> I would love to, I would love to like release this. And uh, and he was kind of like he was. From what I remember, I think he was like super open from day one. I didn't really need to like pitch it too hard. Uh, I mentioned that you know, because uh, originally uh, my design was the first release, and then I had a few releases planned with Amano Mari. I was gonna re-release uh, Energy and uh, Euphoria, his uh, mixtape with Maroof. I think we still might do those at some point. Energy since got re-released on vinyl, so that's why we didn't do that. But Euphoria, I think we still might put on tape. But uh, so I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, we have some friends in common. Uh, I, I got I got projects with Amon, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think uh, he later told me that he hit up Amon, like, yo, who is this guy? <laughs> like, is he legit? Like, you know, what's up with him? And Amon vouched for me, like, yo, He's cool, like, you know, I'm fucking with him, I'm putting out projects with him. So he was like, okay, cool, like, yeah, bet. So uh, so I told him, you know, it was, what was it, nine tracks originally? I told him, like, yeah, if you can give me, like, at least two to three, you know, bonus tracks to, to you know, for all the people who have already heard it, then we could release it as an album. He was like, okay, great. He was like, I got no shortage of songs. He sent me, like, 20 songs, <laughs> like, the next Man. week. And a lot of them were great. Like, all of them were super dope. Uh, but uh, most of them were really kind of big records and a lot of them were like hits, you know? Uh, and so I, I, to me, I picked the ones that kind of, that spoke the most to me and also that fit best with the album. Again, it's just all about the art of creating a perfect album and a really cohesive listen and trying to make it kind of tell a story. So I picked uh, four songs from what he sent me and uh, you know, I sent it back to him and kind of told him my reasoning and he was like, completely caught off guard he was like yo you i wouldn't have picked any of those songs you picked but like i see it that's dope like let's go with it he just kind of trusted me and i was like okay cool because again like there were other songs that were like bigger and like more obvious hits he was like i thought you were gonna go with those he's like nah man that's not really like what i'm trying to do here i want to make like a great album he's like that's tight like let's do it and then uh and then as we were so it was like 13 tracks and then as we were kind of mixing it or uh, mastering it and doing artwork like it didn't really feel right and then I was kind of like 
on his SoundCloud, and I heard this other song that he had done with uh, one of the producers, uh, DK the Punisher. This song they released even before the EP called He Deserves Your Love. And I was like, yo, like we need that one. That's the one that's missing. We need that at the end of the album. It kind of wraps everything up and kind of puts a nice little spin on it. We're like, he doesn't get the girl, but he's cool with it. Like he's glad that she's with someone else. Like it's all good. Like, and he was like, oh yeah, okay. And then it, and then it was a, you know, seven Sundays. So that split the, it made the album 14 tracks, two sets of seven. I was like, yeah, that's it. Like it didn't feel right, you know? So, uh, so yeah, that's how it all kind of came together. And uh, we, yeah, we did new artwork and he was super, he was super cool and really trusting uh, with the whole process. You know, again, it was kind of some back and forth. And again, it was some of me kind of having to like earn his, uh, his trust as far as like why I was making certain decisions. He was like, you crazy? Like, why are you choosing those songs? Or why, like, why do you want the artwork to be like this? Because I think he, I, I don't know. I don't think he would have went the direction I went with with the artwork uh, on his own. Or he originally had some completely different artwork that was just like uh, text-based and like colors and stuff. Yeah, it was like textures. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I don't think that's really like that's not. I don't know. I think it needs to be something. And I really like the idea of it being him, uh, his face, because you know R and B is always like image is a big part of it, especially with like male R and B. You know, they want like the, the singer's face. But I was like, but these songs are so. He's a great songwriter because every song is clearly about one thing and it's so universal, like anyone can relate to it. It's not like a me and my girl. He's not saying names. He's not saying like specific things about the relationship. It's just kind of- It's so relatable. It's very, uh, not generic at all, but very general in the best kind of way, like kind of ubiquitous. So I was like, yeah, it'd be dope if we got a, uh, we didn't really plan it this way, but just, we just did a photo shoot. And then one of the photos and the photographer sent back like a few photos like, yeah, here's there's only like five that I like. I was like, yeah, these are cool. But you just send me like all the ones that even the ones you don't like. She sent me a bunch of ones that were out of focus. And she was like, yeah, you can't really do much with these. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's the one. It's like because it's him, but it's not really him. It could be anyone, you know? Yeah. And uh, and he's not really the type of guy where he wants his face. I was going to say, yeah, he he, he likes to stay behind the. Yeah. And I'm the same way. So I totally get it. Uh, yeah. You know, in regards, so I was like, yeah, that's perfect. And uh, and I really liked, you know, R&B albums are usually so obvious and just the way they're laid out from a design perspective is like the artist front and center and some type of like... Showing off the body. Sticking their lips. Like, yeah, provocative pose. And I like this one. Originally, that photo had like a big ass liquor store sign in it. And that, that could have been cool, but that kind of sends a different kind of message that I don't think is the message of the album. So we just photoshopped that out and just let it... And then my art director was kind of like, you know, what should we put there? And I was like, nothing. Just let it breathe. Like, let it just be like that bold and that blank. And just put the type really small, like not, you know, overbearing. And then we both just kind of sat back from the computer and were like, yeah, that's dope. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah let, let's go with that. And it's, I think it's kind of paid off. And I think, uh, yeah, like I really like how it came out and I'm super proud of it. It's one of those things where... I can't really listen to the out like to listen to any of these albums really stresses me out while we're working on it because I'm like ah like we need to change this one the song is slightly louder than the one before it but now it's done and I can't change anything about it it's out into the world and people own it in physical copies so now I can just listen to it and know that it's too late to change anything and I'm like yeah I really like this it came out really good so so yeah I'm happy about that one yeah man that's uh it's an incredible release and I think it's done a lot for both you and for Sir 
um, it's funny because if you search like Sir Seven Sundays, the first image in like Google Images is the new artwork, and the, the second Good. is the old one, and you can see the, I'm the glad. difference, man. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I mean again, like I'm I'm a fucking pretentious asshole, so I think to this day I think Sir really likes the original artwork, and like that's all good, you know. We all have our own taste, but to me, I'm like nah, like it, it just deserves so much better. Like I think the new the new artwork, I think is just much more timeless, and I think it'll it'll look just as good as it does today, as it, you know, 50 years from now, because a photo is timeless and a blank sky with a gradient, you know, like none yeah. of that gonna change and he works on so many layers regarding like yeah. uh Sir's character and the music and what the message is yeah. even to yourself and like staying like behind the scenes and whatever exactly so. and that was another album where like the intention was to just make it like an r&b as a genre especially like you know because sir comes more from the lineage of like there's you know there's the coltrane side of r&b which is like always been a really dope very artistic independent uh side of you know singer songwriter stuff which is more so what i've always been drawn to but yeah. sir's not really from that lineage like he's more so from like uh damn i don't even want to make any comparisons that like aren't fair but he's more of like a radio r&b like major label type of guy like that's like musically i think that's like he's more like he's more like you're more likely to catch him listening to music soul child and uh i don't know maybe r kelly or someone like that than yeah. something really obscure and super and artsy he's songwritten for like quite a few amazing artists as yeah well. exactly like jill scott and uh uh, Tyrese and yeah like all that stuff so so with that I didn't want to brand like again that's why it's really important to me for Fresh Selects not to be this big ass logo that's on all these things because then people might kind of try to pigeonhole Sir as like this like indie Coltrane type of singer when he's not at all so I, I really wanted artwork and, and just kind of the whole approach to really be Fresh Selects going into his world rather than you know bring him into our world a little bit but more so us going to him rather yeah. than the other way around and uh but with that that world has always been very single driven and it's always you know like like uh a lot of those artists on names they'll have like one song for the girls one song for like a sad song for the girls one song for the, club, one song for the thugs you know just like yeah. corny shit and the albums are really spotty but they're amazing artists amazing singers but the albums aren't something you can listen to from front to back so i was like seven sundays it has to be that album where like you net you would be crazy to skip a track like if you in a car and you skip a track songs you'd be like hey that's my favorite song like, yeah, why? so that's why i chose the songs i chose because it's like very intentional i feel like with the ep there was it kind of jumped a bit like liberation there wasn't really any other songs that sounded like it so it kind of stood out so i put other songs around there that kind of sounded like elements of it so it made a little bit more sense it was it added more context to it you know and i changed the order of certain songs because i felt like yeah it's a bit too early to get that emotional you got to save perfect remedy towards the end and things like that and i was very intentional about that and all of that i think so <laughs> it was just kind of like he was like yeah i mean like again he's a very intentional artist like don't get me wrong but a lot of it he was getting so frustrated with me being so analytical that at a certain point he was like yo man whatever like <laughs> he, i sent him the track list and he was like all right that makes sense and then i started to change it and refine it and he was like yo like do what you want man <laughs> like just give me a release date and put it out and i was like okay okay i swear we're gonna get it out this summer because it's a summer album uh so but i think with that and then again 
put it out that's been like the number one thing I see from people who hit us up on the Bandcamp reviews on Twitter on Facebook in the press is that like this is like oh it's an album that you can listen to from front to back and that's like the most rewarding thing I'm like yes like we did it if we didn't do anything else like that's my main goal is I just wanted a really universal radio accessible like quality level of catchiness R&B album that has no filler no songs that you would ever need to skip and i feel like we did that so yeah that's like that's my personal uh i don't know sense of achievement with that album but yeah it's been it's been a blessing like we've we've reached i think first selects as a brand has reached more people with that album than maybe any of the previous ones and so hopefully they stick around and they're into you know what's next for us and i think it's really helped sir who you know when he put it out on soundcloud on its own but when he signed the deal, I think I don't think any of the songs had more than like a thousand plays. But uh, I told him, you know, yeah, it's cool. Like you could leave the playlist up, just kind of put fresh selects in the description or something, just kind of shout us out. But you could like let's let it rock until we have a solid release date while we work on our artwork and stuff like that. And then a few months later, I checked back and it's got like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand plays. I'm like, oh shit! Like it just kind of blew up on its own. So like again, I can't say too much credit. Like that music just presented you know as plain as day with the old artwork still went really far so i think that just says a lot about the quality of those songs and everything that sir did but uh but yeah but i do think you know uh sir has benefited too just from getting like you know more press and more just strategy behind you know putting it out and i think hopefully it's been mutually beneficial like that's that's always the goal with with everything like i don't want to be riding anyone else's wave or you know piggybacking off of anyone's talent or their associations i want to offer them just as much as as um you know benefiting from what they're doing that's that's dope man uh and yeah like you said it's paid off because um sir recently was made myspace's artist of the day right yeah that was pretty cool that was uh that was the homegirl, Nalina, uh, who used to live in Portland. She reached out to me and and uh, she writes for MySpace now and she was really into his stuff. And so, yeah, he became MySpace artist of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's tight, man. And you, uh, Sez had a couple of articles written about him, hasn't he? Yeah, that's been... I, mean, I can't yeah. remember who I read it, like where I read it or who, who wrote it, but there was definitely like an in-depth article that I read. Yeah, and that's another me. big thing I like to focus on is... Uh, you know, when, because when I would do original content for the blog, I would always send it out to other blogs for them to repost it because that's how I learned how a lot of, uh, how it grew and how we'd get a lot of our traffic as well from other, you know, sites reposting it and crediting it back to us. So I've always just kind of used that approach. But I learned from that that it's just kind of like whatever I would send them in the emails, most sites they would pretty literally just copy and paste what I wrote and just post that and then the embed of the link or whatever it is. And I'm like, damn, like, that's cool, but you're like, not really. And a lot of things I would just write them real quick, like, yo, here's the newest single from Coltrane. It's from his album, God Must Be a Boogeyman. And then it would be their post would be, here's the new single from Coltrane. It's from his new album, God Must Be a Boogeyman. I'm like, damn, like, that's it. Like, like that's yeah. all you're going to give them. So, uh, so now I really make it a point that I'm like, okay, like, you know, because it's all about uh, finding 
media partners to premiere certain singles and things like that. I'm like, okay, like if they're gonna get the premiere, then they at least gotta interview them, you know? Like these artists have more to say than just here's my new single, like, and, and there's more to it than just like check out the new single. Like if you, there's like some backstory that you wouldn't know unless you ask them certain questions, you know? So it's been a point starting really with, uh, I think with the Loli album, we kind of did, that's kind of where I really got frustrated with like, man, they're not even like writing anything about it. So with the Coltrane album, I kind of learned from that and I would kind of, you know, it would be a requirement that if you were going to post, if you were going to get a premiere from us, you had to interview Coltrane. And Coltrane like has <laughs> always such amazing things to say. Like I ended up just kind of, I would just pull quotes from his interviews and just post them on Instagram. And I never post uh just like text on instagram like i'm not that dude who's like you know memes and stuff but he would just say things that are so incredible like he's just such a a poet just in kind of everyday speech so just he was just dropping little little gems just from like you know everyday interview questions so so yeah so with sarah it's kind of the same thing he got some really cool interviews and um uh, i think like fact magazine was a really good one uh afropunk yeah. interviewed him recently i don't think that one's out yet but uh, yeah there's been a few others uh, okay player had a really good in-depth one with him but yeah that, that's big to me because uh I, that's another way where it helps to benefit the artists and to build their audience and so people can feel actual connection with them and see where they're coming from and usually when the interviews come back you know we get their answers i learned something about the artist i'm like damn i didn't know that about like you know i didn't know that about his family or about that that's what that song is about like i'm glad you know i learned yeah. something i'm involved with the project so yeah so i think that's uh that's important that wraps up part one of the interview so please check back next week for part two in which we talk about gangster doodles and his artwork which kenny uses for each of the guest mixes that he features on his radio show tight songs changes that kenny would like to see in the music scene artists that you should be looking out for and of course a lot more thanks for listening <laughs>